Welcome back to the Freedom Footprint Show, a Bitcoin philosophy show with Knut Svanholm and me, Luke the Pseudofin. Today, we're joined by Luke Broyles, the Bitcoin advocate and content creator who shot to Twitter fame through some excellent threads. And he's been spreading a bullish message throughout the community ever since. In this episode, we'll explore the language of Bitcoin and draw parallels with the advent of the internet while discussing the question, why is Bitcoin the least risky thing you can go for? We also discuss the everything bubble, Bitcoin's meritocracy, the dynamics of violence, and much more. But before we dive into all this, a reminder that the best way you can support the show is to stream us some sats or send us a boost on a value-for-value podcasting app like Fountain or Breeze. If you get value from the show, consider sending some value back our way. Each week, we'll thank the top boosts with a shout-out in the show. Nothing this week, but we do want to say thanks to everyone who's been streaming us some sats. We appreciate it. If you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to like, subscribe to the channel, and turn on notifications so you never miss a weekly episode. We also want to thank the sponsors of today's show. First up, the Orange Pill app, Stack Friends, Meet Like-Minded Bitcoiners Near You, and Speed Up Hyper-Bitcoinization. Next, Wasabi Wallet, an open-source, non-custodial Bitcoin wallet with CoinJoin built-in. And finally, Consensus Network, the first Bitcoin-only publishing house. You can find more information about our sponsors in the show notes, and we'll talk a little more about them later. And with that, here is Luke Broyles on the Freedom Footprint Show. Luke Broyles, welcome to the Freedom Footprint Show. Happy to have you. Thank you very much for having me. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how it's been to uh, get into the Bitcoin community so quickly and how it's been to rise up like you have? Yeah, it's been very strange. I had a few people in real life that were like Bitcoin interested, not Bitcoin only per se, and not understanding the historical significance of this, but I had a couple of people who were interested in Bitcoin in my life, uh, all the way back to 2017, 2018, 2019, and 2020, 2021 were the two years where I really started to dive deep with lots of shows. And so it's, it's been great. Uh, now, now it's awesome to be here, but yeah, I, I, I really do deep in 2020, 2021. I think those two years for a lot of people were years where they woke up or at least considered different viewpoints they perhaps had not considered before just because the world got so crazy so fast it was hard uh, to miss and even though the world's always been a little crazy i think the degree and the speed at which it happened really forced people including myself to give things a second look so i gave bitcoin a second look um, because i knew people had extremely high conviction of it and uh, eventually i you know went the whole altcoin route i did less badly than most people do because I stayed away from the obvious Ponzi schemes and tokens, um, although, you know, fell prey to some other ones. But basically, I I then, mid-2022 or so, pretty much arrived on Bitcoin only. And for most of 2022, uh, we tried to warn people that, hey, Bitcoin is a thing. Bitcoin's a huge threat to everything else, even though it doesn't seem that way. It's actually a very low risk. And I would argue the lowest risk thing out there 
got the highest risk and all these, you know, all according to all this other stuff, even if you think it's interesting, you know, it's, it's just, um, at its best case are unregistered high risk tech securities. And anyway, we can go into that more depth later, but, but basically that's, that's why I eventually arrived at after a long deal of thought and learning. And here I am. And I had all these slides and thoughts put together over the course of these couple of years. Like, you know, I'm a very uh, visual person. I like writing my thoughts out. I like making uh, flow charts and designs and everything. And so I just started putting it together for my own benefit, just for my own peace of mind. And then I started showing it to people in my everyday life. And most of them did not care at all. And so then I just, in January of this year, I posted a few of them on Twitter and they blew up. And it's been very strange because now all of a sudden I'm talking to people like yourself and I'm like, I know you all, I watched you all for so long and, you know, invited to events and so I'll be at like uh, Bitcoin conference in Miami in May and everything else. And so it's been, it's been kind of a whirlwind and both the good way and a bad way, but almost entirely a good way. So I think everyone in Bitcoin has sort of a similar story. I mean, a lot of us have just, you know, popped into the scene and then all of a sudden we get something. We, we find, we're a hen that finds a golden pebble uh, in finding, in finding a nice tweet or a, a, a nice thread, an equation or whatever. And uh, all of a sudden we, we blow up on Twitter and it's, it's quite a weird experience. Uh, I've experienced it myself, of course. So, so uh, you know, I, I thought it would be interesting to contact you like n- now when you have this experience so fresh and happened to you just a month ago uh, or, what was or that, two. What was that like for you when you experienced it? I'm not too familiar with your, with your, or just, I, I feel like on your work, but how did you, how did you blow up on Twitter? What caused that? And how did you feel? Well, well, it was like, first, first it was the books. Or, um, if I backtrack this even further, like even before Bitcoin, I had the experience of having uh, a video go viral. And that was a, a music video from my old rock band that ended up on, on the pirate base front page. So they had something called the promo bay at the time where they promoted local bands. And all of a sudden we were seen all over the world and got a hundred thousand YouTube views overnight. And that was a weird experience, but that sort of gave me the, the, uh, like courage to, to, and motivation to try something on the internet again, because I knew it's not impossible. You can get this attention if, if you're lucky. And then I had a, an article that went sort of semi-viral back in, in uh, 2017 about how to get control over your pri- uh, private keys, which then led me to, to write more and to publish a book and then publish a proper book because the first one was just a collection of articles. And I'd take that book to Riga and give it to some Bitcoiners. And, and then I wouldn't say that uh, that book, Sovereignty Through Mathematics, wasn't really a, an overnight sensation like that. It, it sort of grew steadily over time. But what really blew up was, was the, uh, the equation on, on Luke's t-shirt there, which is from an article called Deeper Down the Rabbit Hole, which had, featured a sentence uh, that said, imagine everything there is divided by 21 million, which we later turned into a video uh, that featured that beautiful equation. And that just completely took off and pe- people started adding it to their Twitter handles. And I have a whole folder on my computer with everything divided tattoos with over 20 pictures of people with that equation on their bodies. So, so that was, that was the real weird experience. 
especially coming to Miami last year when, when people recognized me on the street and stuff in, in, in Miami, which is something I never thought I'd experience. So, so, so that's my, my experience with, uh, recognition, uh, thus far. <laughs> yeah, that, that's fascinating. That's, no. uh, that, that's kind of what I've had that it's been great in that I get so many messages to people that say, and this is like to, you know, brag about myself. I'm sure you've gotten this too, but it's like, you know, people will say that, oh, you've changed my life or you've changed my worldview or yeah, my yeah. kids get it now, right? Parents. I mean, it, it, it's amazing. You know, I get messages from people that, that you know, through, you know, some people from developing nations that like saved their first $20 in Bitcoin, which for them yeah. is a big deal. And other people that, you know, sold like half a million dollars of NFT garbage to buy Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah. Were, it, I mean, you know, it's, it's very surreal to experience. The, the, the first, the first such experience I had was from a guy that fled Venezuela and he thanked me for motivating him to, you know, remember his seed phrase and flee the country. And that was just the goosebumps I got from reading that, uh, message is just undescribable. Like, holy shit, my words here in, from my, that I sit and conjure up in my bedroom actually affected someone so much that they fled their country, fled a dictatorship and, and got away. And uh, it's just mind blowing that uh, how, how much these things echo in across, across the world. And uh, it, it, it's humbling and it's very motivating because you, you can see that you can actually make a difference in the world. And it's, it's something that I never aspired to before, before it literally happened to me. Like, uh, so very grateful for that. And, and you seem to have hit one of these golden pebbles, at least, uh, I mean, people appreciate those Twitter threads a lot. I think you condensed things very nicely and put them together. It's a lot of thoughts that like all the thoughts in the Bitcoin space, uh, someone is bound to have thunk them before you, uh, and you're just like reiterating and uh, reformulating whatever. I mean, we're all standing on shoulders of giants here. Yeah, that, that's how I definitely put it. One of the reasons I didn't post on Twitter sooner, I got a Twitter account in May of 2022. Yeah, mm -hmm. I didn't post a single thread on it until my first one. That first one was the one of the Bible in January of 2023, almost a whole year later. But I didn't post earlier because I figured, like, who would, who would want to hear my thoughts? You know, frankly, like you said, pretty much everything that I posted on Twitter is basically either directly from someone else or it's just an extrapolation uh, yeah. of something or another principle. Someone maybe such as yourself, you know, I've, I've quoted infinity over 29, 21 million, probably 50 times already, <laughs> you know? And so it's, it was very humbling to have all the attention because it, I, I didn't feel particularly smart. Or I didn't feel particularly insightful. but I think what people really crave, and I think what people really crave about your infinity over 21 million idea is is the articulation of it, the succinctness of it and yeah. and one of the reasons why i'm so excited to talk to you is because i, I think <laughs> that equation a lot infinity over 21 million and that you know reality is probably in 50 years when bitcoin has five to eight billion users the vast majority of those users aren't going to understand like how Bitcoin works or difficult adjustment you know there'll be a lot of the tech they don't understand in the same way that a lot of us don't understand how the internet works but probably most, if not all of those people, you know, at least the vast majority will understand 
uh, that scarcity. It will just take yeah. infinity. So anyway, that's it's really cool to me that that simple little idea that you contributed, you know, today is a blown out, and over the next couple of decades might even, you know, well, one of the most famous in the world. Even Hal Finney was was on to something similar. So I, I well, I, I stumbled upon yeah. a nice way of of putting an idea uh, out yeah. there that other people had thought before me. But but it's uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, I think it's it's a very I've, I the, the the equation makes no mathematical sense, of course, at all. But it's a nice way of putting characters together. It's like the the most condensed way to explain Bitcoin, in in, in my opinion. Like, uh, yeah. why do you say it makes sense? Because infinity by tw- divided by twenty one million is infinity. The, the, so the equation is pointless from a mathematical point. But but then again, I thought about that for a while, and uh, in a way, it was embarrassing. Like, like uh, am I going to be remembered for a stupid equation that doesn't mean anything? But then again, I, I started thinking about all the other famous equations from history yeah. and none of them made sense at the time they only make yeah. sense in hindsight that's yeah. the beauty of novel equations like yeah. they, they they don't make sense in the times where when they're created most people uh disregard them as as bullshit uh, until they see the beauty of it which, which can take some time i mean yeah maxwell's equations and so on i i, I guess they didn't make sense until later on and Euler's formula and all of this beauty in yeah. mathematics. I would say it does make sense, at, at least specifically with Bitcoin, because one of the things I tell people, because as you both know, one of the things people often criticize or wonder is, you know, do I have enough? You know, do I have enough Bitcoin? And, you know, this idea of the video over 21 million, that there's an infinite amount of prosperity, there's an infinite amount of credit, there's an infinite amount of everything in the world uh, besides Bitcoin. So the way I put it, to folks is that if you have like a Mona Lisa and the frame is, you know, finite, there's a finite amount of the yeah. painting. It doesn't matter how much of the painting you own, you know, we go down infinitely uh, a smaller and smaller and smaller portion of it. And that smaller and smaller portion becomes more valuable uh, as that as a larger portion yeah. of previous. And so to a certain extent, yeah, I, I understand that, you know, infinity by what it's also infinity, but I think that's also correct, even though it's, it doesn't make sense. In hindsight, it should really be a sigma sign because it's 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 not an infinite amount of value, but it's all the value. It's the sum of all the all the value and all the potential value, which is quite a lot too. It's just not infinite because infinite is completely pointless to talk about. I, I mean, there's we, we can't even there's not even evidence that anything infinite exists at all. I mean, it would be impossible to prove because it will have taken an infinite amount of time. So. But 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 the infinity sign is way cooler than the sigma sign. So graphically, it makes sense. Yeah, you said something in the beginning there about uh, what was that? Yeah, yeah. How how Bitcoin is the, the least risky thing, mm-hmm. and uh, I'd like to, to to pull your brain about that a, a bit. The way the way I see it, it's uh, because people don't realize why it's the least risky thing, and the, it's. In my opinion, it's the least risky thing because the only threat to it is that all of a sudden people would s- stop agreeing with each other on a rule set that is beneficial to everyone who follows the rule set. Because it's just an agreement on a fixed set of rules. And it's nothing more and nothing less than that. And all the computers involved, and we call it a technology, but it's not really a technology, it's just a language 
And we use the computer to, to make it easier for us to communicate in that specific language, which is mathematics and code. And it's nothing more. And that's all it needs to be. And that's why I find it so infinitely beautiful. Because it, wh why would people all of a sudden not find it valuable when they very clearly find it more and more valuable over time? And all we need is to, to you know, trigger the curiosity of minds like yours and everyone who's clever enough to, to, for it to click. And what, once it clicks, it clicks and there's no going back. Uh, I mean... Why, why would there be a going back if, if we have this, uh, as you say, a Mona, Mona Lisa that can be divided into an infinite number of parts, why would we ever not want to own a piece of that? So, since it's uh, like the perfect representation of everything. Uh, and I just don't see that happening. I see the opposite happening. And that's why it's, uh, yeah. So the, yeah. in my opinion, the biggest threat to your Bitcoin is yourself always. And that you fuck something up. You're, you're the biggest risk, but you're only risk to your portion. Um, you're not yeah. risk anyone else's. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I would, I would agree with that. I would agree, uh, that that is the largest risk and arguably the only risk. You know, I think there's definitely other, you know, if, if we're here and we're going there, uh, or here and the paths are here or there, you know, there may be risks along the way. You know, and I think a lot of people get hung up on those, you know, the whole, censorship discussion or what if there's some sort of EMP or this or that, the other. And, you know, really, I think that's all worthy speaking of, although I'd rather not right now, because I, I think that those are all more like curves in the path to the end destination. And I think they're just hurdles along the way. But, but yeah, I think the long-term only threat is exactly what you said, that if there's, you know, what, what is money? What is value? What, what is Bitcoin? Well, it, it all comes down to human trust. And the only way that Bitcoin fails is if humans don't trust the idea anymore. You know, the miners could change, the, who holds the key, uh, who holds the coins can change, uh, who talks about it, who loves it, who advocates for it and who hates it, all that will change. But if at the end of the day, the idea survives and, it, and the ledger survives, then it's basically indestructible. Like it's one of the most indestructible things we have because it's an idea like all other ideas on earth, except there's an extremely high monetary incentive to preserve the idea because somebody else might be willing to pay you a lot um, of value uh, for it. So I, I, I agree with that. What I mean by the lowest risk uh, is something that I've been saying on Twitter. And I, I think you would probably agree with me here, but you know, I, I think a lot of people, uh, that doesn't make sense. Even Bitcoin curious or Bitcoin uh, interested folks. And some people suggest that I, don't say that because it sounds unprofessional or it sounds disgenuous or it sounds like a stretch or whatever. And respectfully, every time I come back and say it's, it's what I genuinely believe. And I think, and I think it's such a stark statement that it warrants further insights. Like, okay, either, either this guy is on crack or he's correct. <laughs> and so I, in, in the same way that you're the New York 20 million, I think it's the same idea that it's like, okay, either that's, insane or it's hinting at some essential truth that I need to find out. And so when I say that it's the lowest risk already, what, what I mean is that I believe most people are vastly, vastly uh, misunderstanding what risk is today. All the time, uh, people think that Bitcoin is risky 
because it's volatile and it goes up and down and it's new and, and, you know, people have volatile opinions about not just the price or the exchange rate, but volatile opinions about it. And so what we often think that this thing inherently has to be risky because it, people have very opinions on it because it's exchange rate is volatile and because it's new. And well, the first metaphor I, I give for that is during the internet. You know, if you already go back, if, if we were to go back in time to, you know, I was born in 1989. So if we were to go back to then, the, the, I would argue the lowest risk thing to buy then, if you could have theoretically, would have been like bandwidth of the internet or like a portion of the internet. You know, imagine if you could divide the internet 21 million pieces. I, I think that would have been the lowest risk asset on, on earth at the time. And, and the reason for that, because even though the internet was new and its use cases were still uh, emerging, I think by then, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, for those that were tech savvy, it became obvious that this thing was the future and it was probably going to become the global communications network. And what, when you're in that transition period between an old paradigm and a new paradigm, the, the only logical thing to do is to allocate to that base layer within the new paradigm. So, you know, you could stay away from buying this theoretical bandwidth of the internet and stay in your bookstores and radio and every other business model. You know, it doesn't even have to be like communications specific business model, you know, like radio, newspapers, or bookstores. It could be something else entirely. But as we all know, the internet changed everything and it destroyed every business model and every politician and uh, every individual's career that didn't eventually either adapt to it directly or indirectly uh, work with someone that adapted to it. And so in the same way that it's theoretically lower risk then uh, with the internet, I believe it's literally low risk uh, with Bitcoin. And the reason for that is, uh, li like you said with Hal Finney earlier, I think it's a great point. I want to touch on that again. I find Hal fascinating. Um, but he, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you know, as you know, the first week of Bitcoin's existence, all the way back in 2009, he predicted basically infinity over 21 million. It's, yeah, it's, I know. It's, it's insane. It's insanely, uh, yeah, yeah. He saw that just by extrapolating that thought vector. So that's what he does. And that's, that's what, what, what I think we, we do too. And what's, what's so uncommon. Uh, what we do that is uncommon is, you know, randomly extrapolate things <laughs> because extrapolation is underrated as hell. You know, yeah, pe yeah. people don't think things through. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's definitely a rare skill and then it's even more rare to get it right, but he definitely got it right there. He extrapolated that eventually either, well, as both him and Satoshi said, either Bitcoin is going to become more valuable than any of us can conceive or it's going to zero, but one of the two. And there's really nothing we can do about it. It's just what the free market is going to do. And if it gets any traction, it's probably going to the former uh, and not the latter. And so, yeah, I mean, all the way back in 2010, two years before Bitcoin crossed a single U.S. dollar as exchange rate, how many predicted a $10 million uh, U.S. dollar uh, Bitcoin. And, you know, now that's like outdated because that was back in 2009 when 10 million was a lot more money than this today. You know, that's more like 20 26 million or whatever it is today. I, I don't know exactly, but it's, it's at least double that, I believe. And, you know, probably in a few years, it'll be double that again. But anyway, all I can say is that to his point of what he's saying, and I believe he's correct, it was that Bitcoin is basically a threat to the monetary premium of everything else on earth. Uh, obviously political currency units like the US dollar or the, or the euro or other fiat instruments, you know, obviously those are on the chopping block. 
uh, bonds obviously are on the chopping block and arguably even uh, higher risk depending on your time horizon. Uh, but you know, th th that's on the chopping block. Bonds are basically entirely monetary premium. Um, real estate, you know, you have real estate, perhaps that's less risky than those other things because there's also the consumer good of the land and the building itself. But, you know, a, a considerable portion of all real estate's monetized, stocks are monetized, gold's monetized, art is monetized, you know, pretty much everything on earth and everything on earth has some degree of monetary premium because when the money is bad, value flows out the money and into everything else. Yeah, the, to store back the everything bubble. Everything is in the everything bubble. Yeah. Yeah, the everything bubble. And when that bubble pops, what causes it to pop? Well, it's because now we suddenly have good money and the need to inflate everything else and this everything bubble to offset the debasement and the bad money, you know, all of a sudden that need disappears and all that monetary premium evaporates and flows back to the good money. And that, that's basically what how Finney was predicting. And so it's like, okay, if we think if we think of that thesis, you know, and people watching may not agree with us right now, probably a lot of them do, but, you know, maybe they don't. It's like, but okay, even if we don't agree with that thesis, what probability, what possibility do we want to assign that this thesis is correct? Because it's a binary outcome. It's not, you know, Bitcoin gets some market share and it just hovers there stably forever. No, it's either Bitcoin is one or it's a zero. You know, it's either on or off. Or if we think of it from an engineering perspective, it's like a, a closed or open system. Either the plane flies or it doesn't. It's not going to pass, fly, or, or, you know, a rocket ship doesn't half get to orbit. You know, it either does or it doesn't. And so either Bitcoin succeeds or it fails. And what percentage do we want to say that it might succeed? You know, like, I think I, for me, I'm going to say well over 90%, 95%, 99%, you know, whatever. But... For, for the average person, I think to say that the most secure computing network in the world, that's also just an idea as we're talking about, has at least a 51% chance of survival or 50.1% chance of survival. I think that's not just reasonable. I think it's like absurdly reasonable. And if that's the case, then it, by one's own admission, it's more likely that everything else trends to zero against Bitcoin infinitely forever versus Bitcoin having any threat. So even even if you think there's a 49% chance that Bitcoin somehow dies or evaporates or whatever, it's still the lowest risk thing you could buy. At least it, that's the way I would put it. Because, because the risk is now so great to everything else and Bitcoin is both cause and the solution uh, to all this monetary premium evaporating, I think when this clicks for people, that's really going to hyperdrive adoption when they realize that Bitcoin's not a risk-on asset, but a risk-off asset. Yeah, I, I'm getting a picture in my head here of uh, uh, with Bitcoin and fiat, the two columns of, of risk and trust and what falls into one category and the other. And for fiat, you basically have to trust a small cabal of politicians and central bankers to be able to make better decisions about what to do with your life at each moment than each and every one of us. You basically trust that they are better at making decisions for you than you yourself are. And that, that is true for everyone. Voluntary, trans, uh, voluntary actions and interactions with other people. That's what the free market is. Like we, we, we don't engage in a trade if we don't benefit from it, both benefit from it. And we have given away parts of that trust to these institutions and these rent seekers. 
So, so that's what you're trusting when you're trusting the fiat system and you're trusting that the everything bubble won't pop uh, and that they will keep on rolling the snowball down the hill. I like that expression better than the can down the road because the snowball grows, the can doesn't. Uh, but this is a snowball rather than a can. And you, we're, we're just snowballing debt and pushing it to, onto our children. So, uh, so they have to print more money and exchange it for a government bond which is a promise from the government to steal even more from your kids than they stole from you. Uh, and they have to pay, pay whatever they want stolen in cash that is worth less than it was before. Uh, and all of this is simultaneously inhibiting our ability to be productive and for the market to actually progress into the future. Yep. Then you have Bitcoin on the other side. You have to trust yourself with uh, remembering 12 words or 24 words. Or, uh, you know, storing a, a 30 character key on a piece of paper somewhere or whatever. You have to trust yourself with that. And the other thing you have to trust is mathematics. So you have to trust that two plus two still equals four. But that's basically it. Uh, it, it includes a, a couple of branches of mathematics, like game theory, which might be counterintuitive to people, but it's still true. I mean, there's that, that example of a game show host where you, you get to pick one box and uh, the game show host opens the, the box in the middle and said, the price wasn't here. Would you still like to cling on to that box or would you like to switch boxes? And the correct choice is to switch boxes. And it's very counterintuitive to people, but there's a 66% chance that, that you win if you switch boxes and only a 33 if you don't. And uh, so, so game theory is counterintuitive by nature. But it still works out. It's still as true as two plus two equals four. So you have to trust mathematics, game theory, elliptic curve cryptography, and that that thing works and that it won't be hacked anytime soon. If you can grasp how hard it is to find a pebble in the Andromeda galaxy, you understand about how, how hard it is to crack that thing. The other thing you have to trust is, is software and hardware. And hardware, well... Hardware is pretty hard to trust, but then again, not that hard because these machines, it, it would be quite, quite a thing if they, uh, you know, installed backdoors into every single computer ever uh, created. And the, the simpler the computer is, the easier it is to check that the hardware is not corrupted. And you need to trust software, but the software is all open source. So what you really need to trust is a commu community of people who don't trust each other. Uh, which which has proven over the years to be the best form of computer security model there is. Like open source software is better than everything else. So you need to trust those these things. If they hold true and they have proven to be very, very true and very, very resilient to any form of attack for the last 13 years, then Bitcoin is the obvious choice because your only other choice is the, is the snowball of the everything bubble. Yeah. No, I, I fully agree. I, I think we're already well past the point where Bitcoin's risk has lowered past the inherent risk and, you know, the old, the, the, the current, the current paradigm. And I think we're already so far past that point that it's inevitable that other people in mass that don't have particular interest in this, this decade, or maybe even in the next few years, begin to realize that the entire risk situation has completely shifted and yeah. all the time 
uh, especially before I got, you know, quote unquote famous on Twitter, uh, people would ask me why I'm so eager in talking about this. Why are you so loud? You know, counting the table. And, and that, that's the exact reason. I, I think, uh, it, I think it's inevitable that there's going to be a concerningly large number of people that have their entire worldview of risk completely shift in the next few years. And it's one thing, it's one thing for people to be curious and excited and optimistic about a new thing and add it to their portfolio just a little bit, just as a curiosity or just to try to get rich or whatever. It's an entirely different thing when that same person has their portfolio that they spent hundreds, if not thousands of hours upon. I paid somebody one to 2% annual fee for decades to manage. And then they suddenly realize that that whole idea, even if it survives, its risk has just ballooned and it's only going to continue to balloon it exponentially. And, you know, again, game theory, then you realize, wait, everyone else is also realizing this simultaneously as I am. And only more people are going to realize this. A question. Do, do you live in an area where there are a lot of other Bitcoiners around? No, no, actually, I don't. Uh, I'm going to meet uh, Greg Fonts tomorrow. Oh, great, great. Say hello from me. Yeah, yeah. Greg Fonts is actually going to be the first Bitcoin only maxi person that I'll ever meet in real life. So it's going to be all right, quite all right. for Greg my first. So yeah, I, sp I spent four days in a bus with him in Bulgaria, and uh, I'm still thinking of making that I survived four days in a bus with Greg Foss t shirt. So it's coming. <laughs> Definitely should. <laughs> um, uh, Greg's great. You, the reason I ask is because wh when you're in a place where, uh, I mean, I don't live in a place with a lot of Bitcoiners around either, but I, I spend a lot of time on Madeira and the latest uh, couple of occasions we've been there and when, when there's a lot of Bitcoiners around and, or whenever you're in, at a conference and there's a lot of Bitcoiners in town, all of a sudden all problems go away because, because you have this magic thing and you can use it in any any way you want. So, so like if someone's running short on fiat, that's never a problem. Uh, or if like you're splitting a restaurant bill or wh whatever you're doing, uh, as long as you have this Bitcoin running in the background and we can just, you know, we c Bitcoiners can live in this other universe that normies just haven't found yet. And it's so beautiful. And, and I, I think the real tipping point is when, when, when people realize that. I mean, now, now there are Bitcoin ATMs every, every here and there, and you can convert your Bitcoin to fiat, but it's only a matter of time until everyone in that mall where that Bitcoin ATM is, until everyone realizes that the ATM is completely redundant and pointless when, when they could have just used Bitcoin peer to peer or everyone. So, so like the necessity for all the other money goes away when there are other Bitcoiners around. And it's such a beautiful thing. And I think at some point it will be extremely hard, if not impossible for politicians to even, to even make it harder for people because people are going to crave this so much. Like why the hell are, uh, am I living in a country who puts like draconian taxes on this thing when my neighboring country can just operate on a, uh, on a much more efficient level and just exchange sets whenever you want. It's going to be, especially with the Lightning Network, it's going to be extremely hard for politicians to like hunt people down for using Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. I, I think it will be impossible. It's going to be just like file sharing. Uh, you can try and you can make an example of a couple of people 
but in the long run, it's impossible to it's impossible to stop, and even more so when it comes to 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 uh, to Bitcoin because it's it's very hard to motivate why people you know exchanging voluntarily exchanging a mathematical number for a service why that is a bad thing and why it should be a crime like how do you motivate that politically in the long run it's impossible uh, because everyone everyone using it benefits from it and everyone will realize that at some point so yeah. so i think i just hope that the the critical mass happens before before uh, some some evil politicians start to make life harder for for us that that are pretty public about the thing yeah yeah it's definitely possible but similar to you i'm optimistic on that i think i i think they i think it'll only get more difficult for them at an exponential rate and the government increasing orders of magnitude efficiency is far, far more difficult than bitcoin you know bitcoin's at uh 0.1 0.05 adoption you know whatever it is and it's already so difficult that the Chinese Communist Party can't stop it. You know, they, they've tried many times. Their most recent one has failed, hash rate back in China. So it, it's like, what, what happens if Bitcoin's 10 times larger, 10 times more secure, 10 times more valuable with yeah. times the people? It's like the Chinese government can't get 10 times bigger at the same speed. They just can't. They can't get, you know, and they've already failed. So they probably have to get more like 50 times. So, I mean, yeah, like you, I'm optimistic. Yeah, and because... I, I think and they can't do it now. I don't think anyone's going to be able to do it in the future. No, uh, because even right now, uh, I can put a gun uh, at the head of a- any person in the world, like uh, to any person's head, and say, "Give me all your bitcoins," and they can give me some of their bitcoins, and I have no way of knowing if, if that was all the bitcoins or not. So the dynamics of violence are already—they're already changed. To the point where it makes no sense for me to threaten people, makes much more sense for me to just interact voluntarily and provide something of value back. We're yeah. already at that point. Maybe maybe the politicians haven't figured that out yet, but but in reality, we're already at that point. I, I would love to hear your thoughts on, yeah. I, I'm sure you're familiar with Tesla's predictions of Bitcoin back in um, 1900 and like basically extrapolating what you're saying, except in addition to the individual, also like the nation state, you know, both Ford and Tesla said that this eventual thing that today we realize Bitcoin in hindsight, that this eventual thing would take away incentives from war and state on state violence. And so therefore their conclusion was that this eventual thing would greatly reduce uh, the need, necessity and abundance of violent conflict. Like what, what do you think? Yeah, I saw that in a thread. That was your thread, I guess, uh, about yeah, Ford and Tesla. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah I, I think it reduces violence on every level of society, because simply because it makes coercion a lot harder, uh, makes makes taking away stuff harder, uh, taking people's stuff harder, and and that and that operates on every level of society because, like, even now. <laughs> Especially coming back from Madeira and meetings with the president and everything, this I, I know how many Bitcoiners there are in that parliament, and if, if there are so many there, there's bound to be a Bitcoiner or two in every other parliament of the world as well. You know, planting the seed there. I, I mean, politicians are in general bad actors, but 
every here and there, there's an honest person there that just happened to end up in that situation and uh, who gets it. Uh, and I, I think it's going to be very hard in the future for for nation states to be anything else than service providers uh, that compete with one another. And I, I believe that's a transitioning phase too. And that, that, that is only going to be the case for a couple of hundred of years, maybe if even that, and then they'll phase out because yeah. we'll, and I, one thing that I think is underrated is this, uh, a zoom call, um, before, before the lockdowns, this wasn't a, really a thing um, people had physical meetings and this wasn't used at all as much as it is today. And the technology wasn't really there. There was a bit of lag and, you know, issues with video and audio, but it's become so much better in the last couple of years. So right now we have social media, especially with Nostra and every, all, all these decentralized alternatives that are coming up. We have the ability to contact absolutely anyone in the world and have a video call with them instantly. So we already have face-to-face -face communication with anyone else in the entire world. And what that does, I think, because it definitely does to, to, to clever people, it, it points out the ridiculousness of borders and the ridiculousness of different rules applying to different people in the world. You, 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 so all of a sudden, I mean, you hear about these people, you can't, uh, oh, just because he's born there is poor and just because they're born there, they're rich and so on and so forth. You're, you hear all these narratives, but it's sort of hard to put a finger on until you've like met people from all over the world and talk to them face to face. And now everyone can do that and everyone can talk to absolutely everyone, anyone else in the world. And it, 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 that's truly a magical thing for world peace, I think. And I think it's severely underrated because it, it, it makes us closer to one another and like going to war, like just imagining during the second world war, uh, Sweden was neutral, but really allied with Germany. And just the thought of having to go to war with one of you two, like it's, it's completely alien to me. <laughs> As, and uh, like, or with anyone else in the world I've talked to, but just war in general is completely like, why would anyone on earth fall for that bullshit? Like, why would anyone take an order from some third party to kill someone? It's, it's completely ridiculous. And I think the uh, social media and video conferencing, especially in combination with Bitcoin, when we realize that we don't need all these leaders and rulers. What we need is a fixed set of rules so we can operate with one another. We have that now, so we don't need any of the other bullshit. None of it. Yeah, it's it's all bullshit. It's all a facade. All the emperors are naked. Like, and, and my hope, at least, is that people will figure this out because it's so bleeding obvious. Like, what we're doing now, we're we're in an anarchistic relationship with one another, us three right now. There is no coercion or violence going on whatsoever. So we're. Without uh, a ruler, without anyone setting any rules, we're able to have a civil conversation. Yeah, we do. What we do? <laughs> and and people think this is like unnatural and that needs to be controlled and we need to, you know, quell free speech and we need to this and that. That's all bullshit. All of it. Like, as long as we have functioning money, we don't need anything else. 
Anything mm. else is just bad actors doing bad things. Yeah, yeah. And, and I went, my first thread that got really viral, I don't know if you read it or not, but it was, it was the idea of how we have less in common with the future that we do with the past. And I think this is one of those really big, yeah, yeah. big ideas that, you know, I, I like your analogy with Zoom there. Well, not just analogy, but the practical mm. example of Zoom. But I, I think this is one of those examples. I, I didn't go into this in the thread, but I, I think this is one of them because up to this point in history, all that these empires and dictatorships and democracies and republics and uh, monarchies and you know oligarchies, you know, all, all these political systems are basically just systems of preserving rules and preserving rules in the most orderly fashion possible. And you know, up to this point. The best way to do that, or the most efficient way to do that, let's say, is to have a bigger gun than the other person, a bigger gun diplomacy. And up to this point, that's worked because, you know, if you're Rome and you have, well, bigger spears and bigger catapults than your enemy, you can expand your borders and take a larger, larger share of the world and create the same basis of rules within that border. And then within that, then you get that prosperity. And that prosperity rises up because people are able to operate in a given set of rules. Um, obviously, you know, until yeah. given, given that they don't change too often and that they aren't too draconian in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Until somebody says, Hey, I want to change the rules to benefit me and my constituents more. And so then, you know, you, you decouple the money uh, with reality, you violate the law of conservation of energy. And then eventually, as the rules of that system, that political system begin to shift, then the the whole system to value begins to uh, or continues uh, to decline. And so, uh, up to this point, we've we've had these cycles, and you know it's it's so funny because the world feels so strange now. I think people are like grasping for what's causing it, and I, I think most people run to politics. They think it's either you know I'm in the states, so a lot of people think it's either Trump or Biden's fault or Obama's, or you know they want to just assign this politician is what doomed America or whatever, uh, or they want to say that this law or this, this, or, you know, wh whatever they, they want to, they basically want to assign all the overseers of the rules with problem. The problem itself is that we have a system of rules that is not fixed. And because it's not fixed, eventually it has to change. And like you said, with the money, that's that whole era of thinking for thousands of years is at least to me and to you on its way out that for the first time we have a given set of the rules of the most important layer of society which is that the money and because we have a fixed set of rules now we can actually communicate efficiently we don't have the price of money changing at the wills of the rule make at, at, at the will of the rule makers trying to determine what's best at preserving stability instead we have a free and open market uh communications mechanism that and with volatile fashion, adjust to the needs of the market and adjust to that exponential curve of technology. And so now that we have this, I, I fully agree. The, the financial incentive for governments to exist has just been catastrophically gutted. And yeah. Uh, the funny, funny you should mention the, the political divide there because like I, I, I view it as two, different nuances of the same thing, the red and the blue, because yeah. for, for, for every, every blue haired, vegan, lesbian, gluten intolerant environmentalist lady out there, 
there's a gun-loving stereo-pumped skinhead with a gas-guzzling pickup truck somewhere uh, uh, and, you know, a Confederacy flag fighting for his cause. And, I mean, you might prefer one to the other, but they're, they are two aspects of the same phenomena. It's a, I, I feel like humanity is like, especially in social media, the, 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 uh, the fringes of each political, you know, idea sphere gets, uh, amplified a lot. So you hear about the craziest ideas on, on both sides of the aisle, but, but it feels like there's a pendulum effect. Like when there were too many vegans, there carnivory happened. And, uh, like, uh, when there's too much social justice warrior uh, stuff going on, then all of a sudden uh, people become devout Christians who don't jerk off. And like this, 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 uh, so much either or in the world. And, uh, well, what I, what I long for is a, a Bitcoin world where, where you can also hear more nuanced take on, on stuff and, and people who just don't fall into the intellectual laziness trap of, you know, taking the conspiracy theory for being true just because the, as soon as they figure out that what the government says is a lie, they immediately cling on to all the conspiracy theories that are out. And that's just lazy thinking. Uh, I mean, one thing not being true does not automatically make every other theory true. Uh, yeah, it's the same thing with the science being conflated with science because science is a very good thing. The science is not. Well, I, I, I think I think it's a practical example. I just thought of what you're saying. I think, you know, the, the whole 2020 pandemic lockdown, I think, I think that's a big part of what woke people up is that they saw the insanity on yeah. both sides. You know, and it's like, yeah. it doesn't matter what your opinions were going into it. It's like that happened. The world like shut down for three months and then it kind of reopened and then shut down again. And we're still kind of, but anyway, you know, then like you said, we had all these people to like basically change definition of science. And we had this rapidly produced series of vaccines and the narrative and the reports and everything continued to shift in that. And, you know, you can be pro vaccine, but still the reality is like a lot really really poor insight uh, went into the reporting and the research of that. And we're still trying to figure that out. And then likewise, there are a lot of other people that thought vaccines were, you know, like microchipping people. Yeah, yeah. Sort of weird matrix. Let's put it this way. For every Greta Thunberg, there's an Andrew Tate. (laughs) That's a great way to... And at the the end of the day... Probably a more related example that I, I like is that of the economic debate between the left and the right. You know, but yeah. basically all the, as you put it, the blue haired uh, lesbian women versus all the, uh, you know, redneck pickup truck guys. It's like, you know, the, typically the more left leaning folks uh, are very much against capitalists or free markets or yeah. uh, what one's, you know, ability of self ownership of, uh, you know, economic value. And, and the other side is very much against the opposite of that being the politicians, you know? And so after the 2008 crisis, uh, you know, pretty much everyone on the more conservative side blame, you know, the politicians and yeah. pretty much everyone on the left wing side blamed all the capitalists from Wall Street. And, and they're and the same said, thing. Basically the same thing. It's yeah, the same they're, thing. And it's, they're it's in cahoots. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And that's that's the thing. And conservatives generally want to spend more on the military budget and 
policing and stuff like that and um, meddle with like whatever people want to, how people want to live their lives which is none of their business either so so there's there's always there's always this yeah like i said the pendulum effect going on we just like to mention a couple of our show's sponsors things that we care about and that we think are useful to bitcoiners all over so first up is the orange pill app download the orange pill app today from the orange pill app.com yeah orange pill app Woo! rocket ship get on board it's available for ios and android stack friends and meet like-minded people near you connect with your favorite bitcoiners and speed up hyper bitcoinization we're really excited about the orange pill app and its potential to connect bitcoiners in their local area download the orange pill app it's not a dating app but you can use it for dating Download now. Next up is Wasabi Wallet. It's a great desktop wallet that has privacy by default and CoinJoin built in. It recycles your UTXOs around so that no one knows who you are after it's done the process. Check out wasabiwallet.io. Make sure that that's the actual link you check out because there are scammers out there who want to steal your Bitcoin. But it works in the background. Tor is built in. And when you send coins to it, the coins you take out are private. So download Wasabi Wallet today. I'm wearing these shades in tribute to Wasabi Wallet because your OPSEC is important. So I'm totally anonymous now, just so you know. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think this is, has been great to see that the two of you have a lot of interesting views that are synergizing in interesting ways. And uh, the, the biggest thing that actually came to mind uh, it, somewhere in the, the first long thing that you said, Luke, was, uh, was you're doing great with Bitcoiners and in the Bitcoin community for good reason, because you're articulating the things in your threads in a very good way. But it's also important that that we we bring these ideas to non-Bitcoiners. And have you thought about how your messaging and the the things that you're doing could also resonate with with non-Bitcoiners? Have you thought about that? How how do you orange fill blue haired vegan lesbians? Oh, oh my goodness. Can you can you help me out with that? <laughs> I, I will say that uh, it, it's fascinating, but I, I love that question I'll get to, but just, I guess, just bridging the two ideas, it's fascinating to me how different political aisles come to Bitcoin in different ways. The conservatives usually come to it from financial conservatism, and the more liberals tend to come to it from the social outcomes. You know, it's like, wait, you're telling me that, you know, this racial injustice and, you know, the your racial injustice, you know, Bitcoin helps alleviate racial injustice, income inequality, climate change, this and that, the other, it, it satisfies the progressives and the conservatives. It's like, you want financial conservatism? You want, you know, more libertarian and uh, anarchy ideas in your world? It's like Bitcoin's solution. So anyway, I find it fascinating how, like, it's both sides of the aisle come to the, come to the same uh, conclusion here. And likewise, both sides of the aisle have different disagreements. The more progressives hate Bitcoin, because it uses too much energy. And the more conservative folks hate Bitcoin because, oh, it's not a, the US dollar in government. You know, it's like, it's like, it's not patriotic enough. Yeah. Yeah. But both, both Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump hate Bitcoin. So I don't no. know. I, I think that's a win I'm, for Bitcoin. And both are commies, by the way. Like, uh, that's one thing I found fascinating during the Trump years is when, when Trump gave out a thousand dollars to each American. Uh, as a COVID relief thing. And uh, uh, yeah, uh, and the reactions to that across the world, because no one seemed to get what was actually going on. Because when America runs the money printer, 
to give free money to people in America. What they're basically doing is they're pickpocketing out of everyone else on the globe's out of everyone else on the globe's pockets. So, so I paid for the American relief money, and I, I tried to tell people this in in Sweden and here in Spain, and like, don't you realize that what he's doing is stealing from you when he does that, and he's doing it in a very commie fashion. Uh, and you call him an evil capitalist. He's not a capitalist. He's a commie. Uh, <laughs> Stealing from other people, people in other countries, yeah. without even being ashamed of it. Uh, but but people just don't connect those thoughts. No, no. Most people, I I remember, I remember being one of the only people during that whole era, frankly, that was like not terrified, but extremely concerned of inflation and what is this going to do, and we don't know how bad this is going to be. And granted, it's been pretty bad. You know, it's like. It's, been three years now and time is still messed up and it looks like it's just going to get worse the next couple of years i mean it like yeah it really did a lot of damage and it was very frustrating i felt like i was in my own little world that you know i saw the lines for people to get their checks you know where i was i remember just i was like this is this is insane it's like and it's not did you mean to say convert it into bitcoin I don't remember how much I got. I, I didn't get as much as a lot of people did. But, okay, uh, okay. I, I don't remember. I, I don't think I did immediately convert it into Bitcoin. All right. Wrong, but, uh, but, but yeah, if it were to happen again, definitely, I would just use it use it on Bitcoin or, or pay my monthly expenses with it and convert proceeds, which I guess is the same <laughs> thing. Anyway, yeah, it, it felt, it, I felt like I was in my own world because it's like, you know, like all these people are lying and they don't realize that what's basically happening is that the U.S. government and it, Donald Trump, that point, basically irrelevant. You know, if, if we ousted him out, we just put someone back in that was just as bad, if not worse, at doing what we want, which is free money. Yeah. Okay. And, and it's like, what are we doing? We're creating more political currency units, and we're not creating any value. So what we're doing is we're redistributing the current value within the political currency unit system away from the yeah. developing world, away from Africa, away from Asia, away from Europe, away from everywhere else in the world. Frankly. We're at much higher risk than, you know, us in the U.S. You know, if our economy shuts down for three months, you know, we missed out on the newest and greatest phone and uh, the newest movie. But, you know, the economy in the third world shuts down or in the developing world, excuse me, shuts down uh, yeah. that life and death. And so yeah. it, it was extremely frustrating that this was happening and everyone was kind of going with the mass psychosis of this is okay, this is unprecedented, blah, 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 blah. And nobody was questioning what if what we're doing is causing extremely lingering damage and also what we're doing is we're causing extremely lingering damage to the literally the most at risk places in the world economically uh, um so anyway yeah to, just to rant on that yeah yeah that, yeah um, the, the the thing people need to realize is that voting for this and that politician won't solve any of these issues it cannot because the the the, the the money is more powerful than any politician can be. And the, the only way, like all politicians now have to face either a, the recession of a, a century uh, or depression or to just roll the snowball for four more years so they don't lose face. That's the options they have. Either be the worst president or prime minister in, in your country's history for the last couple of five generations or something, uh, either face that 
or uh, and be, you know, have pitchforks and torches after you, or well, just or just postpone the problem to the next guy. Yeah, that's well, the only options available. Yeah, that, that's it. There, there, I I don't see any third option. And for me, well, there's Bitcoin. Yeah, well, yes, that's correct. But outside the system, within the system, there's no third option. The third option is to think outside um, the system. But yeah, to, to add on to that, what, one of the moments that for me was an aha moment, and I think most people are yet to realize is that even if you are in charge, you know, you may not question other people's motivation forever, but we all think that we're special. So, but for me, it's like I realized even if I was in charge, if, if I was sole global or American dictator and I controlled everything and I was, you know, I, let's say I could, which is impossible. But if, if I was, like, I know I couldn't, I couldn't stop it. I couldn't save it. Because oh, it's uh, out of your power. It's out of our power. Yeah. Because yeah. what is the, the Federal Reserve and the U.S. government, along with the EU and, um, you know, to other countries, are right now, the problem is that they're basically oscillating between the threat of hyperinflation or persistent inflation or the threat of, as you put it, recession or possibly depression. You know, and it's like, what is the Federal Reserve doing? They're basically oscillating between tightening at unprecedented rates, expanding at unprecedented rates. And the yeah. only reason we have a collapse in the hyperinflation is because the U.S. government is right now putting in the threat of a recession and a depression. If they weren't doing that, it's, it's like inflation would just keep going up. And likewise, when we do get at that point that something is breaking, there's some liquidity, you know, whenever the weakest point in this open system breaks, and the energy begins flowing out and things begin deflating like at a rapid pace. Yeah. The only reason why it won't continue is because then they'll transition and potentially back to the threat yeah. of inflation. And like, like the only prevention against depression is hyperinflation. And the only prevention against depression is that we're really, uh, prevention against hyperinflation is depression. And then you just have to ask yourself, which is the government going to choose? And they'll choose the one of those two scenarios has them retain the most amount of power possible. And to me, the obvious answer for that is uh, inflation. Yeah, they'll, they'll continue choosing inflation. And that's yeah. what they did that for a century. And anyway. I, I heard some weird figure that over 50% of all the properties sold in the U.S. last year were sold for the purpose of turning them into Airbnbs, basically. Uh, renting them out there. Or they were not. The purpose was not for the purchaser to live in the house. Like... <laughs> Uh, yeah, that sounds, which I think it sounds like such a fiat figure and yeah, it, such a destructive, you know, point to be in, in time. And I know I, I back in Sweden, I, I, had my last fiat job, I was an HR manager for a, a pretty big company. So I had what was considered a, a good salary there, but still I made more money from living in my house during that time than I made from my salary, just, just by the price of the house going up. And that was true for everyone else I knew as well, which is just, uh, and I know this is the case in, in most Western countries, like, uh, house prices are going up at a pace so that you, you, you owning assets is way more profitable than, than working, no matter what kind of a job you're doing, like owning assets is the shit. I and mean, what we're doing is we're, I have a, a brother that's 10 years younger than me and he can't get into the housing market. It's impossible. Like the hurdles are, are so much bigger than they were 10 years ago when I got in and they were, they were big back then as well. Like 
or 10 years earlier, I should say, not 10 years ago, but 10 years earlier. I got in, in a bit earlier than that. But, uh, but the thing is, a system in which it's better to just own stuff and sell them at a later date than to actually work. Think about what, what those incentives lead to in the long run. It leads to yeah. no one working and everyone hoarding stuff, not producing anything. Yeah. yeah and it, it's, it's just horrible. It's just, a, it's just like the most destructive incentive system you could think of. It, yeah. it incentivizes rich people to be assholes. And it, it incentivizes rich pricks and poor schmucks. That's what it does. You're not wrong. <laughs> no. You're not, you're, you're not wrong, definitely. One of the things that people keep commenting on Twitter with my interview with Preston was this exact point that I was making, that if you corrupt the money, you corrupt the incentives because now the incentives away from productivity and towards management, towards speculation, towards financials yeah. and everything. And when you do that, you corrupt society. And it's, it's like people are so baffled today. Why is it that the culture feels weirder? Why is it politicians feel that they can lie more than they did in the past and they get away with it? It's, it's like, it makes yeah. no sense. You know, that there, when the money is lies, everything is lies. You know, misinformation is a big thing now. You know, at least, you know, here in the States, it's like, it's all, you know, some people can talk about misinformation. It's like, well, the money is misinformation. The money is not true. It's not a, it's not a true value communications. No, it's just not. And it, it, until the incentive structure changes, that, that that's not going to change. And it's not some, you know, it's not some savior or some angel that comes in and performs, you know, X industry of the U.S. It's not going to be some bill or some president or some, you know, perfect, you know, political party that fixes everything. It's like, you, you, you can't do that. You can't. It's going to be a white paper. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it, it's not some angel within that rules-based system. It has to no. be a rules-based system that is contradictory to that and actually uh, has incentives that work and incentivize productivity in a way yeah. for financialization. So, And this is what's so refreshing about being in the Bitcoin space because you can actually see that happening firsthand. And you can also see that it's it, because Bitcoin is a complete meritocracy. There is no, like, no, uh, oh, we need more women here or we need, need more people of color or anything like that. There are people, there are women and there are people of color. There are people from all over the place uh, and from all walks of life. Uh, and nobody gives a shit uh, where they're coming from. Everybody, the only thing that, that, that gives merit is merit and proof of work. And, you know, talent and proof of work. And it's, it's such a refreshing environment to be in uh, because all, all of the political signaling bullshit is, is gone. There's none of it. Uh, and uh, because B Bitcoin can't give a shit about that. Yeah. Bitcoin by, by design cannot give a shit about who you are. And it's, yeah. it's so refreshing in a world that is so, you know, so uh, clown worldly at this point. I mean, look what Disney has done to, to, to Star Wars and Marvel uh, in the last couple of years. It's impressive uh, how they managed to ruin every, every you know, 12 year old boys, uh, heroes and reduce them into, into, you know, being ashamed of being guys, basically it's, it's everywhere in our culture, this, uh, this justice warrior thing. And yeah. it, it's hard to get around when you start thinking about it, when, when you get a comment, like, 
someone commented on our Free Madeira organization, why don't you have more women on the board? And I'm like, no one even thought about it until then. Uh, turns out we do have a woman on the board. No, nobody even reflected over that. So like, it's, it's, yeah. but, but it's so, it, it's so weird. And we wouldn't have thought any different about it if there were only women on the board. Like, who cares? It's what you do that matters, right? Yeah. And, and yeah. yeah. So uh, I, I well, certainly it, hope that he'll, uh, Bitcoin will help inject a, a dose of sanity back into society where, 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 where you're judged by what you do and what you, yeah. uh, and not, not what you claim that you believe. I hope Bitcoin injects a dose of sanity to society as well as reducing the financial incentive towards insanity. Yeah. So, yeah. Exactly. That is true. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Luke had a question earlier that I, uh, I, I don't, I want to get back to that, I guess, sure. cause I don't want to leave him hanging. Uh, but you asked about, um, orange, orange pilling and educating folks are into Bitcoin, right? How, uh, how do you, how does your message fit with non-Bitcoiners? I think, yeah, that maybe is a little easier to tackle directly. Oh yeah. 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 One, one of the, well, one of the amazing things, uh, with Twitter, um, as for me, it's just been how many people message me say that, oh, I kind of understood Bitcoin, but now I understand it. Or people that say like, wow, I, I like this blew my mind and I, I get it and I'm going to learn more now. I, I think, I think for me, what has, one of the reasons I made so many slides is to educate people. You know, I've talked to a lot of folks, uh, real estate folks, stock folks, a lot of typical, you know, 60, 40 retirement portfolio folks, you know, some that are professional investors themselves, some that are broke college students with like, you know, 500 bucks, uh, some in the developing world with like, you know, 500 bucks totals. Um, and, and so, uh, that, you know, just hire a financial advisor or manager to manage a portfolio. And, and I think for me, what I've seen that continually hits a chord with people is define, defining the problem so clearly, so obviously, and make it appear so inevitable that we need a solution. And then basically define the problem well enough that Bitcoin becomes the only obvious solution. So like the, the, my first thread that were one first went viral uh, instantly, the one that I continue to refer back to for people is basically just a point of paradox that everything's getting more affordable and yet prices are going up and how little sense that makes. And I think when people really ask themselves that question and they view that paradox, I think that's the first moment, at least I've seen it. And, I, and I've seen people's eyes light up when they think of that. Just, it's just, and it's amazing for me because it's like, okay, now you're getting it. Um, because we, we're humans and we have emotions. And fundamentally, we think the world works the way it does because it's always worked that way. And that's just not necessarily true. You know, we think prices go up just because that's what they do. I don't have a degree in finance and I'm sure if I had a degree of finance, I would know or whatever. Uh, but prices go up, like they just do. As the as the economy gets more prosperous, the prices go up or whatever. You know, we come up with these truisms that just aren't true um, because our brains like to tell a story and justify why the world is the way it is. Likewise, um, things become cheaper and more affordable. The mark or cost of energy and prosperity go down. But for most people, and that was my first thread, is basically pushing and pushing and pushing in that paradox is that if, if technology is making everything cheaper, faster, better for more people, why are prices 
going up. You, you have more prosperity determined within a ledger, and yet you divide that amount of money by these assets and goods and services. The prices should be going down, yet they're going up. And then, you know, from there, you basically begin to explain how the world has worked for so long that you have a series of political regimes. And within those regimes, you have uh, monetary ledgers and some forms of money are better than others. You know, gold is a better form of money um, than, say, seashells. Seashells, arguably, depending on the kind of shell, <laughs> are better than fiat money, or at least in the ancient world they were. And so, you know, basically you have these cycles and you you basically inject a good bit of, of incentives, you know, game theory, all that, and all of a sudden, you know, your entire view of history changes of the past. And you realize all of history is basically this repeating cycle of, of political regimes and incentive structures rolling over as a function of technology. And so these cycles get faster and faster. You know, an empire, you know, in the ancient world lasted thousands of years. That, you know, a few hundred years ago, you had, you know, colonial empires and dynasties that lasted centuries. And now we're at a point where, you know, for a few decades, this power, a few decades of that power. And, you know, it becomes clear to you, you know, before coming to Bitcoin, the solution that, okay, our problem today is that we're in, they're currently at another rollover. And whatever comes next uh, has to come faster. The technology has to continue to get better if we're going to be reasonable. And therefore, the rollovers have to get faster, that the fiat rollovers and the political regime rollovers have to get faster. And it's just an incentive structure. As they get faster, people have less trust in their permanence. And as people have less trust in their permanence, they have more difficulty to rise and more easily can fall. And so it becomes clear that's the problem, that technology is just going to continue to get faster, faster and better. And basically what that means is that as these things diverge, as a function of time, one's one's ability to keep up with the rate of technological change will only become more important. You know, right now, technology changes really fast. It's hard for 70, 80-year-olds to keep up. Well, uh, frankly, I'm more worried about my generation. <laughs> you know, when, when my generation are 50 or 60 years old, it will be just as difficult for them. Even though they'll be more prosperous and healthier and, and everything than the current generation was at that age, the technology will be so much faster when I'm younger than them that it'll be even harder for me to catch. And then their kids, their kids will be in their 20s, 30s, or maybe even early 40s, it'll be hard for them to keep up. And in this this curve is just getting steeper. And so when I really define that problem, and I define it as well as I can, that this curve is only getting steeper. And as that gets steeper, it causes everything else to become faster and these political regimes have to continue to cycle over. Then it becomes apparent that, okay, we need some form of money that's technologically native, something that is outside the whims of political interests. And therefore, the only way to do that is outside human intervention entirely it has to be immutable it has to be fixed because it has to be a given amount you know in the same way that the speed of light is a constant the same way that a meter stick is a constant or that uh, kelvin or celsius are constants we have to have a network of value you know back to the Mona Lisa metaphor we have to have clear a clear frame that borders the painting and we can divide that painting up as much as we want infinitely but there has to be a frame right now we don't have that so um eventually anybody's okay this is an engineering problem and, you know, then like Tesla and Ford and everyone else, all the engineers of 20th century cricket, then you eventually begin to realize, okay, uh, Bitcoin is this thing. And so when it comes to educating people about Bitcoin, I think the best way is not to talk about Bitcoin first. 
I think it's to define the problem. And the problem is basically you can't have humans be in charge of a ledger that the incentive to correct said ledger only increases as that ledger becomes more valuable. I mean, it's like a catch-22. It's a paradox. If, if the ledger is uncorrupted, that ledger becomes more valuable. And if it becomes valuable, the incentive to corrupt it only goes up. And so I, I think I think defining that as an essential problem that needs to be solved if the world's going to continue at the rate and the and the arc that it's going on now, it's like, okay, this is inevitable to come. And that's what Tesla and Ford understood. This is inevitable. We're somehow going to find a way to do it because we have to. And when we do, as Hal Finney said, the only logical conclusion is that part of its creation, um, you know, as you eloquently put it, it's it's an invention, but it's also a discovery. Mathematical uh, scarcity. It, uh, I don't. I can't. I can't do it word for word. But you know, it, it's a discovery. Uh, it can only be done once. Yeah. If you were to recreate it, you just make a lesser version of the original. And why trust that? So, basically, if it's inevitable and if it's a threat to everything else, going back to my point earlier, then looking at Bitcoin, it's survived 14 years. It appears very likely to be that thing. And if it continues to survive, then everything else is an extremely risky bet against Bitcoin. So, yeah. yeah. Let's see if I remember that one shot principle on top of my head. Absolute mathematical scarcity achieved by consensus in a sufficiently decentralized distributed network was a discovery rather than an invention. It cannot be discovered again because the very thing discovered was resistance to replicability itself. Yeah, that's the way, that's the way I put it in the second book, Independence Reimagined. And I'm just awaiting a, uh, a proof uh, print of the rehash of that book. So I'm, I'm putting Sovereignty to Mathematics and Independence Reimagined yeah. together as one book. Yeah. So we're re-releasing them, them here coming, coming within a month, I hope. They will be available. Great. Yeah. That's great. Oh, looking forward to that. Uh, that's, I think there's Captain America's shield on the cover with a Bitcoin B instead of a star. Hey, Luke, can you tell our listeners a bit more about the Consensus Network, the platform that this show is on and the publishing house that publishes my books? What is the Consensus Network, Luke? Thanks, Knut. The Consensus Network is a Bitcoin-only publisher and translator. In other words, translates Bitcoin books into all sorts of languages. Anyone who's interested in translating a book into their language can get in touch with the Consensus Network to help translate and spread the Bitcoin message throughout the world. We have lots of great examples here. Knut's books are some of the most popular on the site. Check out consensus.network or bitcoinbook.shop to see everything that Consensus has to offer. That's bitcoinbook.shop. Use the affiliate code FOOTPRINT for 10% off. Knut, can you tell us about how to get in touch with you and find out more about your stuff and the things that you're involved in these days? Yeah, sure, Luke. So I'm at Knut Svanum on Twitter. I also have a website, knutsvanum.com, where you can find all of my books. There's a whole bunch of books. These old two ones, Sovereignty Through Mathematics and Independence Reimagined, are being rehashed into one book that's coming out with a foreword by Prince Philip. I'm also making a wine. I'm not making this wine, but this is a wine bottle with a Bitcoin B on it that you can sign up for on my website. And you can also find all sorts of everything divided merch if you're interested in that. So uh, that's how you support me. 
Hey, Luke, yeah. thanks a lot for uh, for this. And I, I think we might be uh, at, a, at a good spot to somewhat wrap this up, but I do want to ask you one more thing. And this is kind of a, a future-looking thing. What are you seeing yourself doing in the Bitcoin space over the, say, medium term, next six to 12 months, something like that? Yeah. Great, great uh, question. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. To be honest, it's been like a whirlwind. I, I As you can imagine, I... I very busy in general it's so then for this twitter thing to blow up so they like oh wow oh, now I'm even more busy and so i i try to keep up with that and not overwhelm myself because i know that it's the quality of the quantity of ideas that are useful so i'm trying to keep up with that not overwhelm myself and get on all the other platforms and do all that but uh basically what i really hope to do for the next few months is just explore uh, meet people such as you two and other folks. I, I go on like dozens of podcasts the next couple months. Like I'm already scheduling up to summer and which is kind of mind blowing. But, but then going to conferences, I, like I said, I'm going to meet up with Greg Boss tomorrow. So that'll be a, a quite the experience. It won't be like yours in Bulgaria in a bus for four days, but it, yeah, it, that'll be great. Um, and, and, uh, I'm going to the Thank God for Bitcoin conference in Miami and it followed by the Bitcoin conference. In, in Miami, so hopefully it meets people there. So next, yeah, well, next. I'm planning to go to Miami, so hopefully we'll see each other there. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I haven't worked out all the details yet, so it's not it's not a hundred percent fixed. But but the plan is to go there. I I love it. I love meeting you. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, but yeah, the, that's pretty much it. The next six months, I hope to uh, meet lots of people, uh, gain ideas, share ideas, uh, grow the following as much as I can, or whatever. And you know, it's uh, you know, I, I would make clear, like, I really don't care about the attention. Like, frankly, it's kind of nice. You know, I'm not going to lie. It feels really good when you have people. It is nice. They, we shouldn't, yeah, it's very shouldn't nice. be ashamed of that. No, no. It's it's, the, being recognized for something you did is what is a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect work. Perfect work, I suppose. So, so yeah, but I, my, my goal is just to explore and grow this as much as I can for the next having, because I know that. In a couple of years, uh, Bitcoin is probably just going to start going up and the need for Bitcoiners and their ideas and insight is just going to go up. And I don't know if I'll be like consulting for high net worth people or if I'll be putting out, you know, charitable things for people in the developing world that need it. But I know that everyone needs to learn this yeah. at some point in the near future. And so I'm just trying to get ready the best yeah. I can yeah. myself. You have to be prepared because when Bitcoin 10x is you 10x, so so you have to be prepared for that. Any plans on coming to Europe? Uh, I, I would invite you to Europe. Yeah, um, yeah. I could recommend yeah. BTC Prague as well in in June, the, just a month after the Miami conference. That's the biggest the European conference in in Prague. It's going to okay. be beautiful. A lot of big names there. I think that they're they're aiming for like ten thousand guests or something. Wow. So, so it's going to be a big one. Everyone's going to be there. Uh, yeah, that's so, yeah. Of course, that one and and Baltic Honey Badger and Riga is very very nice too in in the fall and and then yeah, of course there may or may not be a conference in Madeira coming up announced. Uh, we don't know. I I know nothing. I'm from well, I'm not from Barcelona, but um, I'm from somewhere and I. I definitely don't know anything about the conference in Madeira, do I, Luke? 
<laughs> no, you don't. Uh, not that I'm aware of anyway. Okay. But you should come to Prague. You should absolutely come to Prague. Yeah. If you're free and you're able, it's going to be a great time. And uh, definitely the Miami conference, uh, it'll be uh, comparable to that, I think, based on what they've announced. Yeah, great. absolutely. Yeah. And once again, Luke, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, you have a fascinating story and I think you have a bright orange future ahead of you. And uh, uh, coming months and years uh, and uh, looking forward to seeing you in real life and looking forward to having more conversations with you in the future. And who knows, maybe a collaboration at some point. Who knows? Well, we'll see. We'd love it. So, love uh, it. Thank you. Good luck with everything. And thank you for this. I appreciate very much. Thanks for having me on. It's been great to meet you both. Yeah. Keep on doing what you do. Thanks. Likewise. And before you go, any last... Uh, the place you want to send our listeners, anything you want to plug? Um, yeah, I'm on Twitter, Luke Broyles, B-R-O-Y-L-E-S. That's, um, that's the main thing right now. I'm uh, getting YouTube. Well, actually, I already have a YouTube channel, but I'm getting that expanded and uh, a couple other things, but in, in good time. So, but yeah, Twitter for now. I'll post everything I do on Twitter. Great to hear. Just wanted to confirm. Thanks again. And this has been the Freedom Footprint Show. Thanks for listening.